Greetings. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of the Legacy Drawing Board, the podcast journey and experience that wants you to build a stronger, more meaningful legacy by embracing good design principles. I'm your host, Ron Fong. This podcast is built on three foundations. The first, the vision, to have you see yourself and your world through the lens of legacy design and building. The second, the mission, to introduce you into the world design and have you emerge as a storyteller. And finally, the all-important purpose, the why. The perpetual need for leadership causes us to edify each other through building enduring relationships. For those of you who have been listening for some time, I thank you for your support. And I want to know, have you discovered your purpose or have you rediscovered your purpose? Have you clarified your vision? And are you making a stronger commitment to your mission? Please share your thoughts with me and your progress. My email is rfong at truenorthshepherding.com. I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear you as the storyteller. Today's episode is the subject of today's episode is Olga Corbett and her legacy. The name Olga Corbett will bring about a host of reactions and it depends on your generation. For some of you who are boomers, you'll remember her as a young teenager, as a teenager during the 1972 Olympic Games. For others, you might know her in passing uh, when someone does a documentary on the history of women's gymnastics. She was born in 1955 in Belarus in the former Soviet Union. She was four foot 11 and eight, weighed 83 pounds at the time of the Olympics. 1972 uh, Summer Olympic Games was held in Munich, wet, at the time West Germany. Germany was coming out of the shadows of World War II 27 years later. This was the world stage for them to show that they had rebuilt and they were re- ready to re-enter uh, the world stage as a participant. The backdrop of 1972 extends to what was going on in the world. At a time, the U.S. and the former Soviet Union, USSR, were vying for being the top nation in terms of power and influence. These were the two leading nations with military capabilities, including nuclear armament. And tensions were very high at that time. Fortunately, there was some progress between the two nations. They signed the Strategic Armed Limitations Talks, or known, better known as SALT, in 1972 to at least reduce the likelihood of a nuclear confrontation. Politics seized the Olympic stage. On September 5, 1972, eight Palestinian terrorists invaded the Olympic Village. It ended with the deaths of 11 Israeli athletes, one German policeman, and five of the Palestinian attackers. Politics would become embedded into the Olympics down the road. We saw that the boycott of the 19 Olymp- 1980 Olympic Summer Games that were held in Moscow by the U.S. because of uh, the Soviet Union's invasion of Russia. Uh, uh, sorry, the Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan. And in 1984, when the Summer Olympics were held in Los Angeles, the Soviet Union in turn boycotted that as retribution for the U.S.'s uh, 
boycott four years earlier. Think about this. So you had tensions running high in 1972, and yet the person who captured the imagination of the world was Olga Corbett, a 17-year-old from Belarus, uh, Soviet Union. She was called the mother of modern gymnastics. And if you're listening on this at home and not driving your car, I'm going to try to describe why she had this impact. But my description is going to be woefully inadequate because you actually have to see what she did. And for many of you, you might have seen the clip many times over. But for those of you who haven't, it's going to be a treat. Go to YouTube and... You know, type in Olga Corbett, 1972 Olympics, uneven bars. It is amazing. So think about this individual. She's 17, not from a uh, urban, uh, I'm sorry, a uh, metropolitan area of uh, the Soviet Union, but more rural. And this might be the first time I think that she was actually out of the country. Um, she might have had other times before international meets, but at least definitely the world stage. And her mark was made on the uneven bars. The uneven bar consists of two bars. The high bar is 8.2 feet and the low bar is 5.6 feet. The diameter is 1.6 inches and the length is almost 8 feet. The Corbett flip, it just became known as that. And I was thinking back then in 1972, I was 9. I was involved more in terms of sports of baseball, football, basketball, and whatnot. And for women's gymnastics, didn't really think about that. Wasn't really on my my radar. But yet something about this, uh, they talked a little bit about her. And I did happen to catch it, or I think maybe if I didn't see it originally, definitely they re-ran it so many times after it happened. The Corbett flip. So you see this individual who's under five feet she stands on the high bar, which is eight feet off the ground, and she performs a backflip. And no one had ever seen that before. Up until that time, women's gymnastics, and I'm not a big authority on it, but women's gymnastics was very uh, very routine and, 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 and technically very good, but there was really not this element of acrobatics uh, attached to it. Not only does she, not only should she perform this backflip from the high bar, but she continues her routine and she winds and she ends her routine with a dismount with a backflip again and lands and, 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 you know, nails it, at least where I could see. And it, I remember the announcers just were going absolutely crazy because of, they couldn't believe what they had seen. And it was so revolutionary, so groundbreaking that it just stunned them. And this, we got to remember at this time, this was before the internet, uh, so you couldn't just go on demand. You had to go to the conventional uh, or the legacy news uh, agencies and, 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 and hope that you would get a chance that they would replay it while you're watching TV. And they did replay it because they knew that they were just witnessing something that was remarkable. And again, please, please, if you haven't seen it, go see it. And if you have seen it before, refresh your memory of how amazing this feat was. And this was the first backward release in international competition. Part of his legacy is it was dangerous, and that people were you know trying to up their game after that, and it became so dangerous that it is now banned 
uh, in, 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 or in competition, I think, throughout gymnastics, that you can't stand on a high bar because it is people, other subsequent gymnasts tried it and there was, I think, you know, tragedies, uh, injuries, if not deaths that I think occurred from that. But again, this is the mother of modern gymnastics, how she took this sport into sort of this niche uh, category and it became something that everyone wanted to see. Some of the statistics about Olga Corbett and the medal counts. In 1972, she got the gold in the beam floor exercise and part of the Soviet team. And she actually got the silver medal in uneven bars. I think at that time, the judges didn't know quite what to do with her or how to actually score it. And because they were so set in their ways of a very set, technically sound routine that this disrupted her thinking. And she placed, she actually did not win the event. Uh, amazing performance. Four years later in the Montreal Olympics, she uh, got the gold with the Soviet team and got the silver uh, on the beam. But that doesn't really do justice or capture what she, what her impact is and what her legacy is. I think beyond just gymnastics. Four years later uh, in the Montreal Olympics, you had Nadia Komanich, Komanich from Romania, who scored the first uh, perfect score, 10. Then you had in the United States, and it set in motion that before, you know, you had Kathy Rigby, I think in the 72 Olympics, and she was kind of the top gymnast in the United States. But again, it was really niche. You didn't have all these uh, gymnastic uh, studios or, or training grounds that you had in the United States after this. And it just exploded. And that led to your Mary Lou Rettens uh, of then because you had American children, uh, women, who saw this and just it opened up a new world. And as before, they may not have been that interested, but all of a sudden they, they said, I want to do that. Then you also have, obviously, the, the newer generation, Simone Biles. And the U.S. the U.S. women took it to such a level and it became so engrossed. The viewing was, uh, was must-see must see TV that the women's gymnastics was able to conduct a tour of the United States and people would buy, pay tickets to see them. Whereas before, that would never have happened. In terms of raising the profile also comes along the raising of money. Louisiana State University gymnast Olivia Dunn is the highest paid NCAA female athlete and her net worth is about three and a half million dollars. And this comes in light of the recent uh, relaxation of what athletes, student athletes can get financially from the names, images, and likeness. And obviously she, you know, there's appeal to her that goes beyond just her uh, gymnastics. But the fact is that Olga, uh, Olga Corbett raised the floor and the ceiling for all uh, all fee, uh, women gymnasts. And it's just astounding that you ask someone back in the 70s, can you imagine a college athlete, a female college athlete in gymnastics being worth $3.5 million before she even graduates? Now, they might have thought, you know, was it going to be some type of sport that we were associated with? And foot, you know, if it was a male counterpart, we could have easily imagined a quarterback, a basketball player, whatnot, you know, getting $3.5 million. But think about this, that 
women gymnasts now can can earn in the millions of dollars while in college. A friend of mine debated what Olga Corbett's legacy is and the impact of it. He disagrees with me, but I argue that without Olga Corbett, you don't have your Tony Hawks, you don't have your Sean White, you don't have your X Games, and you don't have your snowboarding events in the Olympics. Now, maybe they would have occurred in the absence of Olga Corbett, but she definitely accelerated the timeline in terms of that. In 1998, she was the first inductee into the International Gymnastics Hall of Fame. Her legacy, the medals, uh, capturing uh, the imagination of the world, opening up the world to millions of girls, teenagers, to pursue gymnastics and also some carryover or spillover and onto the men's side. For me, her legacy is that she did not, while gravity was limiting others, she used it to fuel her creation. And that's what she did. She was an artist. Think about this. This person was just, you know, figuratively, literally flying around on the uneven bars. No hesitation. And she reveled in the fact is that, you know, she was eight feet off the ground and just doing some things that had never been done before. And I'm thinking, you know, now looking back on it, I'm thinking here was a young, young woman, young or girl, 17 on the world stage. And she changed the world. She seized her moment. She had an opportunity. She seized this. What does this have to do with your legacy design and building? It's the inspiration. The inspiration that Olga Corbett gave to millions of wannabe gymnasts. Or for us, just, just imagine anyone could take the moment, seize the world stage, and change things. As I mentioned before, 1972, tensions were running very high between the United States and, and the Soviet Union. Yet, who was the face, who was the darling of the 1972 Olympics? It was Olga Corbett. She moved past the politics. She moved past uh, all the, the, the entrapments or how we get tied down with all these things and she touched us. She touched our hearts because we were all rooting for her. And she touched our, our imagination. She inspired us. That is a very powerful legacy when you can transcend politics, when you can transcend borders, languages, whatnot. And for her to have that lasting impression, that's a very powerful legacy. The Her routine... And it's a little ironic, cost something so groundbreaking routine. But nonetheless, her routine on uneven bars was obviously uh, the byproduct of design and hard work. A lot of sweat equity went into that. The first rule, or I'm sorry, the first principle of good design, as listed by Dieter Rams, the influential industrial designer, is that good design is innovative. And that's what she was. She was innovative. 
No one had ever stood on the high bar. No one had the releases that she did. She had that dismount. And I'm sure I'm not even capturing it adequately. And for those of you out there who are gymnasts, please uh, write to me, contact me, and let me know where I got this wrong, where I got this, you know, in terms of I'm sure I'm not capturing the full essence and the impact of Olga Corbett. The inspiration of this teenager. Obviously, in designing and building your legacy, the innovation, and we're talking about scale here, it doesn't have to be innovation on a world stage. It doesn't have to be that magnitude. It doesn't have to affect millions of people. But if you innovate, innovate of yourself, if you take a new step for you, that's innovation. And you're already thinking about your legacy. You're thinking about design. If your legacy, what you do now is you innovate, if it impacts one person, then you've made a difference. And you, your legacy, if you, you have built a worthwhile legacy, you, you did your job in terms of legacy design and building. Dare to innovate. Many times we limit ourselves. We limit ourselves with doubts. We limit ourselves because we don't believe. We don't believe that we can contribute. We don't believe that we have something to offer. That's not true. Everyone has something to offer. See yourself in a different light. And that is innovation in itself because you're starting to change things. Look at your life, look at your future through the lens of design. And design has intentionality. Design uh, is, as Dieter Ram said, the 10, 10 principles of good design. Good design is useful. It's aesthetic. It's understandable. It's unobtrusive. It's honest. It's long-lasting. Should your legacy, your messaging, your story, impact one individual and produces the fruits of being useful, of understanding that individual, of not encroaching on their space and of having a long-lasting impact, you as an artist have created something worthwhile and something that is uh, long-lasting. Our... Legacy is going to be composed of our words and our works. Maybe you won't come up with a Corbett flip, or maybe you will. And you'll never know unless you try and believe in yourself. It could also come from our words. Are we edifying each other? Are we building each other up? Are we raising each other up to new heights and doing so in terms of relationships, enduring relationships. Please take a look at the video on the Corbett flip from the 1972 Olympics. For those of you who have seen it many times, you'll be renewed, you'll be refreshed, you'll be invigorated, and it will wake up your passion for making your mark. For those who have never seen it, I think you'll still be amazed some 52 years, almost almost 52 years later. And 
and try to understand it within its context of time. Back then, women's gymnastics was a niche sport. It had some viewership, but not nowhere near the popularity it has now. You didn't have the internet. So news spread not as, you know, not. It was, and, and it was amazing that it spread overnight based on that, the fact that we didn't have the internet at that time and just had your three major networks. And you were at the mercy of the network to keep showing it, and they did, bless them, they did, because it was just simply amazing. Your legacy. It's there for you. Will you have a Corbett? Will you have a Corbett flip moment? Maybe you will, but even if you don't, it doesn't make your legacy any less worthwhile. Take a look at us, and if a seventeen-year-old teenager from Belarus can take the world stage by storm. It gives it, it allows us to dream. And she did it. And this is not to discount her hard work or dedication or anything like that. But she did serve as an inspiration. And that is another attribute of her amazing legacy. If you're interested in exploring how to build your legacy through design, I invite you to visit my website, truenorthshepherding.com, and sign up for a complimentary session on how we can work together. The next episode, I'm going to talk about retirement. For some of you, you might be near retirement, and for some of you, you might think that's decades away. But the importance is that we will all enter a phase of retirement. We may still be working, but we may change what we do, how often we do it, and so forth. And if we don't have design in mind, then it will greet us, it could potentially greet us in a very harsh manner the importance of design. Until next time, please give your legacy the time and attention it deserves because when you do, we all benefit. <laughs>